Hey everybody, thanks for checking out Bleach Mouth Postscript. My name is Larry. On this podcast, I generally have a guest each episode and come armed with five pieces of music. It can be a song, it can be a record, it can be an EP. does not matter what it is as long as we're talking about music. On this episode, I have my bandmate from Persistent Aggressor, uh, the bass player Mikey Juba, who is also the guitarist for Nervous Future, which is a really good punk band uh, based here in Akron, uh, featuring members of... Uh, Parted Helicopters, uh, Trash Night, uh, and a lot of other stuff. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I clear my throat. Maybe I'll edit that out. Maybe I won't. Doesn't matter. Anyway, Mikey, uh, met him through the band when he joined, and, uh, he's a really great guy. I've always really liked talking to him about music, so it was, uh, an opportunity for us to get together and do what we used to do before and after practice, and, uh, uh, he has a lot of cool things to say, and, um, a different, um, different perspective, uh, being that he is much, much younger than I am. Um, so anyway, uh, hope you enjoy it and, uh, we'll see you on the other side. Did you get the signal mm-hmm. warning yep. you that I'm recording? Yeah. Yeah. Early on there were like, like the first three episodes, I swear to God, I recorded each one of them twice because i forgot to hit record and mm. uh it was it was a goddamn mess man it was fucking and then i had to like hassle the dudes and can we do it again because i didn't really you know have an I, I mean i had an idea of who i wanted to talk to but i didn't have any any uh takers i think people wanted to sort of see if i was actually going to go through with this before they would commit to recording with me so yeah i had to go back to those same dudes and be like um yeah i kind of fucked up <laughs> there's a uh, podcast called uh anxious and angry the yeah, do some uh, off with their did head did he even talk to him, even uh, talk to him? like i didn't know he was there until after oh the i did i he was sitting he was sitting in a corner behind the table where i was uh posted up at because i had my, my brother was there my son was there and my cousin and other family members and i turn around and there's dave and we we chatted for a few minutes and then, you know, um, but it was nice to see him because, you know, Dave doesn't leave his house. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I've noticed. Yeah. <laughs> Unless he has to, you know, um, but my brother was excited because he really liked that LP a lot. And I said, well, this guy and that guy and Josh, we all it's our record, you know, <laughs> so mm-hmm. and I pointed you out and he goes, I don't know him. And I'm like, well, of course you don't. <laughs> yeah you just moved back to you know well he lives in west virginia now he's within like an hour and a half from here he he just moved back there like last october he was living in florida for a while and i'm like yeah i wouldn't expect you to know mikey i mean fuck i mean (laughs) you know yeah no i haven't i definitely was not around for the majority of the akron scene until like a couple years ago or oh well you didn't miss anything i promise yeah. Oh, I missed everything. <laughs> I feel like as soon as I started playing live music, like when I was like 17, 18, it was like the skeleton of like a really cool music scene. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it was. When was your, bummer. so was that your first show? What year was that? Uh, Yeah, the my first real show, because I saw a guy named Neil Zaza. Oh my God. Uh, I saw his Christmas <laughs> special because he taught guitar to my cousin Corey. Uh huh. So, not counting that, um, playing uh, Canon Rock. Uh, <laughs> my first show was the 
that I saw was the one I played with Battle of the Bands at Peabody's. Oh, wow. And that was a gorilla music. If you remember that guy. Uh, yeah. Did you have, you had to sell tickets in the whole nine? Didn't you? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. That was, that was a scene. I was completely like, that was foreign to me. Like I had no, I was aware of it and it was, it was, uh, I knew it was a thing, but it wasn't anything I engaged with at all. So <laughs> good. <laughs> and that it was literally, that was when Peabody's had moved from the flats, like long after it moved from the flats to where, where was that over by the university? Yeah. 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 Cause it was eventually eaten by the university. Mm, uh, good. But yeah, the, the <laughs> dude that ran that battle, the bands, it was like literally an episode of like uh, Josie and the Pussycats, like the bad guy, you know, where yeah. he's like a, a cartoonishly like evil pro- music promoter. <laughs> like Dan Call. Guy. Yeah. And we were just like kids and we were like, yeah, this is legit. <laughs> it was really funny. Yeah. I, you know, I don't even like slandering like famous bands on the podcast because, you know, and I'm not saying I haven't, I certainly have. There are like five or six bands that I'll, I'll actively slander just to watch myself do it because I, I dislike them that much. Generally when it comes to people mm-hmm. and bands, it's more like, well, not with people, but with bands, it's more like, uh, yeah, it's not my lane or I don't like it, but I understand why other people enjoy it. Cause I, I truly mean that. I mean, I have strong opinions, but, um, I actually am pretty reasonable with like, you know, well, people like it. That's cool. Um, with people, I'm a little more careful. I don't, I don't like to slander people unless they're in famous bands that I hate. Um, because it just doesn't, it doesn't really serve a purpose and it's just kind of, uh, I don't know. It's just kind of lame and petty. However, I will slander Dan call that guy fucking sucks. (laughs) And that whole, that whole scene, um, although I didn't engage with it actively and I, but I was aware of it and that whole business model, that whole fucking thing is fucking lame. And, and that, that's like that's some parasitic ass fucking bullshit, man. You know, fuck that, fuck that shit. And ugh, yeah, that's all I got to say. Um, yeah, that, that rate that, that, uh, I, my dander gets up, Mikey, get my dander up. When, <laughs> when I think about that time period and that dude, it's just, uh, it's so it fucking gross was like one of the worst things a young band could walk into like a young band. Who's like, never, we were a high school band. Like literally we had right. high school fans and like, we didn't have, we didn't play with other bands. Like right. we just were like, Oh, battle of the bands. It was like the <laughs> stepping directly out of landmine. Yeah. Of like <laughs> bad, but yeah, that was a pretty, pretty dark time. You well, know that, People that operate shows like that, they'll have you, they'll, they'll sell you this fucking line that, you know, well, you know, you're selling tickets and, you know, it's about the hustle and that whole thing. And, you know, it's, it's not a band's job to sell tickets beyond making fucking flyers and promoting shit that way. And kind of like, you know, um, you know, you know, Increasing their fan base through their friends and playing shows and, and getting out there and doing it. It's not their job to go out and physically fucking hawk tickets. That's the fucking club's job. That's the fucking goddamn promoter's job. And there's no that that whole setup doesn't encourage any kind of uh 
collaboration with other bands. It doesn't encourage any kind of um, networking or anything healthy. It's just like competitive and, you know, throat cutting bullshit. And, and for young bands to have to go through that, it's just, it's fucking gross. I mean, it prepares you for the quote unquote real music industry, like major label shit, oh, you know, yeah. cause that's how that world operates. It's all fucking horse shit. But for like a band to sort of like um, organically grow on its own and, and play shows and, you know, have positive experiences with clubs and, and other musicians that that paradigm does not doesn't it, it's not good. It's a fucking terrible, terrible, terrible fucking thing. And people that engage in that actively, specifically promoters, not necessarily the bands are the worst kind of fucking scumbags and yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Boy, wow, I got really angry there. <laughs> That's good. That's good. You know. Mm-hmm. Um so let's talk about something fun. Um so what year was that roughly when you started playing shows? Uh 2010. 2010. So what were you pretty much like whether it's on your list or not, what were you kind of listening to at that time? Like what was your what, who were your go-tos? So around that time, I was a senior in high school, and I was pretty thoroughly a death metal kid who okay. opened up to like the world of like pop punk and stuff mm-hmm. and music. Because for so long, you know, for so long in high school standards is like a year and a half. Right. Uh, I was like. I only listen to heavy stuff. Like I don't like any of the singing nonsense, blah, blah, blah. And um, I got turned on to a couple of bands, one of them on the list uh, where it was like actual singing and like a little bit more low key stuff. So this first band was a really terrible pop punk, like senses fail kind of sounding band. And it was like, we didn't know how to write songs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was definitely uh, that whole time period was was also pretty depressing for like the music scene because that was the flippy hair, <laughs> like Motley Crue revival time. Well, uh, it, maybe not even Motley Crue revival time, but like bands that look like they could have been a Motley Crue, but were singing like creepy love songs to girls that were teenagers when these guys were clearly 25, 26 and 27. Mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> well it's a kind of work with the the first song or, or the first bands on my list it's like the term metalcore has uh-huh. definitely it changed hands to vastly different groups of people yeah and when i was coming into it it was like you had all of the my chemical romance like tight jean kids the flippy yeah. hair mm-hmm shaking hands with the christian like hard like the whole christian metal music scene which was also shaking hands with angry dudes at their girlfriends like super massages <laughs> people and it was like just the worst like combination of all of the like jock bros who were into like it was crunk core like what on Wait, yeah it was say basically it again. it's what crunk core what is Crunk that core? Uh, it's basically these kids that listen to like, like dirty hip hop, dirty South hip hop, 
uh-huh. like with like kind of like proto trap stuff. And um, so they were into like little Wayne and like, you know, uh, like Birdman or something. And it's like they also were into like, yeah, like emo kind of music and like, OK, heavy. that's that's where the core comes in. OK, I was confused because yeah. I, I know what crunk is and, and yeah. what it sort of sort of refers to. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you said crunk core, that really threw me. So yes. it, you were so what what you're kind of le- get leading at and getting getting to is uh you were a fan of Kill Switch Engage because when yes. I when I when I think of metalcore I definitely I think of them like it feels like when they became a thing um that's when that 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 term that subgenre actually became because there were other bands in the hardcore scene that we're definitely playing metal, but mm-hmm. I don't, and maybe, maybe the term metal core predates kill switch engage. I really don't know for sure, but that's like the, I put my finger on that band when people say metal core more than almost any other, because they mm. seemed pretty ubiquitous at the time. Yeah, no, for sure. And like, yeah. Cause it's like, you could call like, um, like coalesce and like converge mm-hmm. out of those bands that it's like they liked death metal and grindcore and they also liked like hardcore sure that was like first wave kill switch i definitely think is second wave because it was basically a bunch of dudes in boston who listened to at the gates and they're like we're <laughs> we're gonna do this but they uh <laughs> occasionally had singing yeah and then when i like kill switch engage i got into in heist like pretty early in high school so by the time i was getting out then it was the flippy hair jesusy uh, uh metalcore where wow. there was always one guy who's a screamer exclusively and then one guy who's the singer so and like a keyboard player sometimes so there's like seven people on stage <laughs> and they're all just playing like breakdown riffs that's when the breakdown like chug chug thing really became like a meme and people started uh, yeah hating you know what here's the, here's the thing like chug chug riffing you know might have become a meme but like within the confines of hardcore specifically like that's been a thing for a long like well before that like 15 mm-hmm. years like early 90s bands really started chugging they, they never really were called metalcore but i mean you know the low hanging fruit when I'm talking about that would be earth crisis. You know, they were yeah. kind of like particularly firestorm that, you know, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. There are a million bands doing it after that. Um, but I know <laughs> you're describing this and I'm sitting here trying not to laugh too hard because you're like nailing it. It's almost like you're, you're, you're painting a picture and it's, it's um, really vivid. Cause like I, I know these people just by, but I don't know people like that, but I, I can see, I can visualize these individuals, you know.
were you in on the ground floor with Kill Switch Engage, or did you catch them uh, around the time that this record came out? Because As the Light Dies, which is the record you picked by them, is like their fourth album, and that's in 06. Were you listening to them before that, or how did you come to this? Yeah, uh, so funny enough, um, my buddies and I, we were all nerds, and uh, a game called Resident Evil 4 came out, which is just about to get a remake really soon which is sad that I remember when the first one came out like very vividly. And then now there's a remake because it's a throwback sad because you feel old or sad because you know that uh, or both or both. Yeah. Both. yeah. <laughs> uh, so this game coincided with the resident evil movie and uh-huh. the movie had a soundtrack and on that soundtrack was uh, a bunch of metal bands and Previously, I didn't care about music. Um, just it didn't bother me. I just listened to whatever was on the radio. But um, uh, Killswitch Engage had a song called End of Heartache and from the previous record. Mm-hmm. And there was like Cradle Filth and like Devil Driver, like some heavier stuff for mm-hmm. like young kids. And um, we watched a video on VH1 2 when that was a thing. And it oh, had wow. clips from Resident Evil and it was like a really good song. And I was like, whoa, this is like two things that I really like. And um, that turned me on to it. That st- stupid CD that they gave you with the game. Yeah. So, but when this record came out, like this was like my favorite band. I was like, oh my God, like this is what got me into liking music with harsh vocals because okay. before that i hated it oh okay I, yeah what what do you think what do you think it was that that uh struck you that made you th- rethink um that made you rethink the whole notion of uh harsh vocals and intense music like this what about it was that it just hit you in an indescribable way or was there something that you can recall that made you think well you know what Um, yeah, it was literally, this is super, super dumb, but, um, like before that, when I was younger, I liked the early two thousands, uh, Christian rock movement, like, uh, uh, Lifehouse and Switchfoot and stuff. Cause I was a good church boy back in those days. (laughs) And the music to kill switch was not religious, but it was vaguely uplifting because, Mm -hmm. You remember very well the Harry Krishna hardcore thing. Oh, yeah. And the the positive hardcore, you know, like the Gorilla Biscuits offshoot sure. bands. And so Killswitch's lyrics were kind of like that. So when they had the singing parts, I was like, oh, yeah, this is like a lot like that. And like I kind of stuck to that. And then I would just bite my teeth for the screaming parts. But then eventually after you listen to it long enough, you flip. And you're like, you like, you get into the screaming parts mm-hmm. and you don't like the singing parts as much. But I think uh, Howard Jones, who sang on both of those Kill Switch records, he's just an incredible vocalist. He's really, he did the Holy Diver cover. And he, I mean, like, I've never heard it. He kills it, dude. It's, you know, I mean, nobody can man, sing I like Dio. Know. That's kind of, that's a, that's a bold statement, man. I I love Dio and I love the Dio version, but Howard Jones, that dude can fucking sing like good. He can belt it. 
So that definitely helped. All those, you know, a lot of those other metalcore bands, they lacked him because yeah. like you need somebody and his screaming to be fair wasn't that great his lyrics kind of were just sappy like <laughs> not like definitely something you want to get tattooed on yourself i guess but um just his S- like, sad sad boy hardcore lyrics right pretty much yeah it's yeah. just like oh <laughs> well i my think girlfriend. I, what i find impressive is that howard jones was able to uh parlay his fame from the 80s and that song things can only get better into kill switch engage i think that's impressive
That's a joke. I can't understand how it is, but I know it is a joke. <laughs> There's a British musician named Howard Jones in the 80s. You'll have to check it out and you'll you'll think I'm an idiot, but I mean, I think it's funny. What are you going to do? Yeah. I'm an old man. Yeah. I make these kinds of jokes, right? You know. Yeah. <laughs> so, how do you um how do you make a leap? I mean, it might seem obvious to a lot of people, but to my ears, this is this is a pretty big leap. How do you make the leap from Kill Switch Engage to say like Morbid Angel? Because it's there's all kinds of daylight between those two bands, you know, like mm-hmm. to to the un to somebody who's not uh into aggressive guitar music, they'd be like, Oh, it's all the same. They are wildly different bands. Um, so how do you go from Kill Switch Engage to say Morbid Angel? Because my assumption is that Morbid Angel came later. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So basically you come out in the music scene and you know, like I'm I'm starting to learn how to play guitar. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm um trying to learn the kill switch riffs and stuff. And essentially you kind of look around you. And the derivatives of that kill switch kind of formula mm-hmm. and that other, you know, scene is kind of opening up and other younger bands are taking it over. And I don't know if you know, but Ohio was like the capital for that really terrible metalcore of the time. So oh, like, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Like um, the Northeast and Ohio specifically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I won't name any bands, but it's like, you know who uh, you are. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so you kind of get to this branching pathway where you're like, well, I don't like this because this is just like a not as good kill switch engage. So I'm going to go listen to the stuff that kill switch was listening to and those bands, which is Swedish death metal, Mm -hmm. obviously. And, um, yeah, so I got into at the gates and flames, all that stuff. And then from there. Yeah, uh, Morbid Angel was, I think, one that came up uh, on one of my Wikipedia rabbit holes. Uh, okay. That's how I found a lot of bands when I was young, or like metal archives, like just clicking through random random links, and I eventually found uh, Morbid Angel. They had gotten back to with David Vincent fairly recently. Yeah. Um, and they did, it was a video for uh uh what was it the last song on covenant god of emptiness
That's the that one they live. had the video for as well. Mm-hmm. They, they yep. did that. Um, yeah, the music video where the guy like this gets the paper mache devil wings on. So yeah. cool. <laughs> they um they, they had been around for a while. I mean, you gotta think that, you know, the one before I mean that record came out in 93, the one previous to that came out in uh 91. It says Blessed of the Sick is 91. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but all altars, altars, Madis- been- altars was 89. And yeah, that's where I stop with them only because 
there's I, I like I like the other records up to and including Covenant, but the only one I really spend any time with is um Alter's Madness because the first song I heard was uh Chapel of Ghouls.
Oh yeah. Cause I heard, I heard it on the grind crusher comp. That was my first, uh, experience with them. And so the funny thing about, um, why oh, I was going somewhere with this <laughs> with morbid angel covenant is, um, they, that was like almost their hit, you know, like that was like a big deal record for them. And it's kind of oh, crazy. Yeah. And something I didn't know until I pulled this stuff up yesterday, because we were going to record yesterday. I did not know that Fleming Rasmussen produced this record. Yeah. Metallica fucking dude. Isn't that yeah. crazy? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, it's in his wheelhouse, but I just did not know he produced this record and it sounds great. I mean, um, but it's just, it's just, it's wild. I mean, I, I had never really, I had not known that. And yeah. I, you know, his, his work on, um, Red Lightning and Master of Puppets is pretty fucking, pretty fucking cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just for all, not so much, but that's not his fault. <laughs> we, we can talk because you and I are the only two people that I know that distinctly hate and justice for all. And- uh, you know, I think, I don't think we're the only two people we know. I just think that we are in the minority. That's for sure. We for sure. Yeah. That record. I've said this before, so, and I'll let you go on your tangent, but my problem with it mostly, never mind the fact that there's no bass on it. And that's it. It, re- it really just renders that record limp. Um, it's a riff salad. That's all it really is. I mean, Blackened might be the most, other than one, Blackened might be the most cohesive song to my ears, but it's like a lot of riffs sort of haphazardly thrown together. My my other guitar player friends get mad at me when I say it. I'm like, but there's, there's no through line. These songs don't take me anywhere. It just sort of, it's like, it just shakes you around and, and, you know, racks your head and doesn't doesn't do anything. You end up with a headache at the end of it because it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense. There's no through line. There's no theme to follow in any of the songs, with the exception of one, and maybe blackened. But also something I didn't know that uh, my buddy Matt Sword told me. He he has a ride lightning box set, I think, and they talk about the recording of that record and. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he told me that when they arrived in Denmark to record, that their gear got stolen. So the amp amplifiers are using on the ride of lightning are the ones they borrowed them from Merciful Fate, which is why wow. that record sounds the way it does. So when, when they went and did Master of Puppets, they tried to replicate that sound, and they did. But it's not quite the same. It's still really good, but it's not quite. It doesn't have the same bite the Red Lightning does. Fast forward two years after Master of Puppets and Justice for All, those guitars are toothless. It just sounds like a wine. Like the guitars sound like a wine. It's not even like, it's like, as opposed to something with any kind of teeth. It's just the worst, most, it just sounds, this might not be the right word, the most processed sounding guitar like it's just it's just flat to me and then there's no bass and the songwriting doesn't take me anywhere so yeah those are my those are my points of fucking contention with that record you know his vocals were still good at the time 
but that was it. You know, I checked out on him after that. I didn't even interrupt you because you were just saying that every, yeah, I agree with all, <laughs> all of that. I think those guitars, in fact, they're almost tinny. They, yeah. it sounds like a practice amp and it's right. like not in a good way. Like you can make that interesting, but it's like, com- like, and people give me shit for this. I like the production on black album way more. Like, yeah. You know what? It's actually, it's heavier. It's It's, heavier, cle- it's cleaner. Two. It's cleaner, but it's got more bottom. It's mm-hmm. got way more bottom. So yeah, I like yeah. it too. I don't like the songs any better, but the production to me, to my ear is more pleasing, you know? Yeah. Um, and what you're saying with the songwriting, it's they literally, it, it's such a slag to sit through. Like I, uh, what was it? it was, um, Dyer's Eve was one I remember liking when I was younger and I went back to listen to it and it's like Metallica songs are deceptively always kind of long, but like it's so long to the point where it's like different riff, different riff, different riff. And it's like, yeah. just like, Jesus, man, like go but back they, to something. The other songs go someplace. That's what mm-hmm. I'm saying. Like, so they don't feel, they don't feel long. Dyer's Eve is the shortest song on the record at five minutes and 14 seconds. That record is 65 minutes long. There is no need for any record to be more than 30 minutes. Broadly speaking, there are plenty of bands that exceed that and they do a great job of it and it's fine. And it's, but you know, I'm mostly like, man, listen, keep it at 30. Keep us wanting more, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I know that their earlier records are probably longer than 30 minutes as well, but I mean, this record is, it just seems excessive in every way. Um, and not in the ways that are helpful, you know, mm-hmm. the only, the only thing that came, the only thing that was really good that came out of this is that, you know, they got some, they started making some money, you know, which I, I felt like that's cool, you know, um, is uh that they deserved it they had worked hard you know oh yeah it's just a bad record you know but they started making some money because you know one was a hit for them you know um and they did a really killer cover of the prince by diamond head as a b-side to either harvester or sorrow black and i can't remember but it was on a oh i didn't know that and there i still don't like the production of it but I had mentioned this on actually the last episode I did. I'd mentioned that the um the production is just I prefer it over the original version's production, if not the playing. Um, because some of the new wave of British heavy metal bands, some of the bands that were like quote unquote second tier, um, that sort of like really uh low budget production just doesn't suit those bands you know Mm -hmm. they needed more they needed something a little bigger sounding and there are parts of diamond heads catalog that just doesn't sound great but the songwriting is so strong you forgive it Mm -hmm. but yeah so they did a really good cover of the prince uh as one of the you know b-side for one of the singles so you know those are the two good things they got rich or they started getting rich and uh the prince came out because of that so there you go see i said something nice yeah there you go there you go i will say uh this the snare sounds okay yeah Uh, and yeah it's like so 
they didn't have a guy to tell them, hey, we should do this. And like, you know, they they just a very scattershot, very self-masturbatory mm-hmm. kind of thing. But then they get Bob Rock in the fold and then it just got, oh, man. Oh, well, man. They should have just bailed. But they, they got didn't. A, they got a taste of like, you know, the idea that they could possibly take this to, quote unquote, the next level. And Bob Rock was perfect for that. You know, he had produced uh, uh, Dr. Feelgood, I think, by Motley yeah. Crue. And the second uh, Skid Row record. And he did uh, Sonic Temple by The Cult, mm. which that's a great sounding record. Mm-hmm. And The Cult had actually opened for Metallica at some point, maybe afterwards, I think on the Black Album Tour. I don't remember. But, um, I mean, he, you know, he, he brought... a put more bottom back into the band that was, wasn't existing. I think, you know, I really, I know it was, I know something they did on their own, but that garage days, the, that EP, I like the way that's recorded. That sounds mm-hmm. really good. Like amazingly good, you know, mm-hmm. for, you know, it being supposedly like a home recording, you know, but um, there's plenty of bass on that. And Jason Newstead certainly was playing really well. So there's, other than their egos, there was no reason to delete him from, you know, Injustice for All. But uh, but I digress. F- Fleming Rasmussen got us to this point. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, Metallica, so- dude, they were uh, more potential signed to Giant Records, yeah. which for that record, which is like crazy to think of. That's probably why I think it was the best selling death metal record before uh, Cannibal Corpse. Um, but yeah, literally, uh, it was just a bunch of record executive people in the early nineties being like, this death metal is going to be the next big thing. And like, well, put them on I, that D or black Sabbath tour. Yeah. I well, I don't know the timeline. I might be wrong, but around that time, <clears throat> either right before, right at the same time or right after that, you know, Eric signed that thing with Columbia, which I think was owned by Sony. And I think their top five sellers on Eric automatically ended up on Columbia and that included like carcass mm-hmm. napalm death uh Godflesh fudge tunnel and one other I can't okay. remember who but I think all those bands had records come out on Columbia mm-hmm. because yeah because carcass deal. got that payout yeah yeah they um well they did heartwork which I didn't like that record at first you know it took me a while because I was like because listen I I, I saw him on Symphonies of Sickness, you know? So, I mean, like, that's where my head was at. You got to tell me that. You got to tell me that you saw that. Dude, I'm an old man. I see things, you know? So. You and, dude, you, Dave, Ben Vhorn, you just tell me casually about these shows that it's like, if I had a time machine and I had to, like, kill somebody, I would kill somebody to go to for, these shows. Listen, for, for every show that I'm telling you that I've seen, there are at least four or five other shows I would have rather seen other than those because there are bands I just missed. It's all, I mean, people can't help their chronology, you know, and I Mm -hmm. I can guarantee you there are shows right now that are going on that I'm not seeing that are awesome too. You know, I mean, it's just, um, but you you don't know what you don't know until later. Like, I don't know how lucky I was to see death on leprosy and spiritual healing tours until much later. You know, because that band doesn't exist anymore. Dude's dead. 
you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I had no way of knowing. All I know is I was going to a cool show at the time, you know, so I don't know. I mean, there's probably bands you're going to see that I'll never see that are probably maybe just as cool as that, you know. But my my point being that when Carcass did Heartwork, it took me a minute to settle into that because I was like, Mm -hmm. um, I liked it when it sounded like vomiting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Bill Steer stopped doing vocals. Well, you know, he he picked back up on. um, There's an EP either before Tools of the Trade. Yeah, yeah. There he did some vocals on that because they re, they did a um they redid a, a version of uh Rotten to the Gore, which I think was on um not symphonies, but um Reek of Putrefaction. Mm, yeah, it was on yep. that. It was a redone version of it, and it's amazing. The tools of the trade EP is really good.
So yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to I'm trying to segue to trap them, and I'm doing a really poor job of it. <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're good. It, I don't know well, anything about this band. Tell me about them. So trap them. Uh, going back to those Bostonians uh, again. Uh, the whole converge uh, s- scene kind of centers around uh, God City Studios, which is a guitar player for Converge, Kurt Ballou. Uh He records a lot of these bands, you know, and they're all friends and they all kind of put together super groups. So um, Trap Them was probably the first wave of the US. It was the combination of this hm2 swedish death metal sound combined it basically like they listen to like rotten sounds and then american hardcore and then they're like oh we're gonna combine all of this and like trap them were pretty early on the train and uh just of like this new kind of like almost crust punk influenced like death metal um and they're incredible. I saw them once. They only played Cleveland twice. Uh, the dude had two broken legs, uh, the singer, and he was crawling around on the ground. And he had like a scar on his forehead. And I'm like, what the fuck is this like scar on this guy's forehead? And it literally like one song in like like 10 seconds in, he headbangs all the way to the ground, bashes his head into the ground. And then his scab opens up and all the blood starts pouring down his face. And I was like, oh, that's what that's there for. And dude, that dude. So was he was did he was he blading? No, no, it it literally was. He was in a kneeling position because his legs were broken. He had these two casts on Mm -hmm. and he was crawling around on the stage and just headbanging so far his face would just hit the ground sometimes and he, he dude that guy if you look up pictures of him it's like he has like i'm looking black eyes he looks yeah yeah he looks like a dude who's got some concerns yeah he has revenge you know tattooed across his neck yeah there's um it's funny i mentioned blading and there's one of these pictures he, he's wearing a bullet club shirt so clearly he's a wrestling he knows about wrestling. Oh, oh, he's he's big into wrestling. Yeah, yeah. What's mm-hmm. this dude's name? Ryan McKinney. Hmm. He's not really playing in any bands anymore. But he was in um, Backstabbers Inc. It's why does that sound like there's a story behind that? Not playing in bands anymore. Yeah. Um, I have no idea. It was him and oh, the guitar player. Here's, here's a picture of him with a huge black eye. Yikes. Yeah, yeah, dude. He he's but here's the thing. Crazy show. And then as soon as it stops, you could tell he's in pain. You could tell like he hurts because his legs are broken and he's still on tour. Like that's a that's a bad thing. And he gets oh, you crawls mean his, over. It looked the I see a picture of him. He's got two they're cast below his knees. Yeah. He okay. shattered both of his legs jumping How off d- something. Oh, how did he do jumping off of what? Do you know? Uh, oh, a giant broke, stage monitor. He broke his heels. Oh, his heels. Okay. That's even worse. Yeah. He's a madman. Yeah, that's fucking nuts. But he he crawled over to the side of the stage and sat there and was as cordial and as nice as anybody could be and just talked to people about wrestling 
talk to people about, you know, like how the tour, like, and was just talking to everybody, like just hanging out. And it, I was like, whoa. And he was a super nice dude. I talked to him briefly, but uh, just incredible stage presence. Um, yeah. And bummer, they broke up like uh, not long after their one record came out, just very suddenly. Huh. But uh, that record I pointed out, Darker Handcrafts, the real thing with that is um, the drummer plays with a single kick pedal. He basically plays, you know, jazz style kit. Oh, and wow. if you listen to it, it sounds like there's parts where he's playing like double bass. There's parts he's doing like that's I listen to a lot of drummers because um, I dabble in drums and mm. that dudes, I can't dissect some of those parts. Some of those parts, I have no idea what he's doing. And I, you could watch. There's a couple video clips online of him recording Darker Handcraft. What's, what's his name? Uh, Chris Maggio. And he played in a couple bands. Uh, he toured for High on Fire when their drummer first left. Oh, okay. Uh, he's not in High on Fire anymore, but he did some tours with them. But he is an incredible drummer. Like, and yeah, like, I mean, I think he learned he had to pick up double kick for uh, High on Fire, but like for yeah. all these other bands, he was just doing single kick and it was like, like blew my mind um so yeah that record i still listen to it all the time like 10 years later it's still a 10 out of 10 record in my brain
I'll have to check that out then because that sounds appealing to me. I'm looking at all these pictures and I'm like, uh, the the aesthetic of the art and stuff it seems like it's in my lane. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know anything about the lyrical content, but um, yeah, I might have to check this out for sure. Yeah. Oh, you want to hear something funny about the lyrics? Yeah, please. Uh, he never writes down his lyrics. I mean, you could find rough transcripts and stuff. Never writes them down. And then the CD booklet for Darker Handcrafts. Uh-huh. I remember opening this up. I'm just like, oh, shit, a booklet. And I opened it up and it just says the first page. Uh, was it in darkness? There is chaos. And the rest of the booklet is just black pages. <laughs> or where there is no light, there is chaos. Do you know and if I'm he's like, singing the same words every time or what? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because there's a, there's a few parts where uh people in the crowd pick up on it like doesn't um, that cat from um drug church kind of do the same thing like he just uh 23 skidoos his lyrics when he makes their records i think so uh the only person I, that comes to mind for me is um murder city devils and that okay. guy changes his lyrics all the time because he's too drunk to remember what he wrote down yeah i'll have to check this record out then yeah, it's I, you, like, it's I like that title alley. too. I don't I don't care for their name, but the song but the album title is pretty cool. I feel like Darker you would Handcraft, care for the name. It just No, because get this. There is a Italian horror movie from the sixties called Trap Them and Kill Them. Oh. And that's what the original thing name was, but then they shortened okay, it. Okay, well then that that's context. Oh, these songs are short too. Yep. Oh, oh that's, dude. that's way up my, that's way yeah. my alley. Yeah. I'll have to listen uh, for sure. I mean, there's, I gave, there's one long one, but it's not, it's only four minutes. It's not that long. No, they don't. Yeah. They, they keep it tight. I mean, I'll recommend any of their records basically, uh-huh. but if you're just going to get into them, definitely darker handcraft or the last one uh, called, what was it? It was feral something can't think of it off the top of my head crown feral that's it mm-hmm. uh those two records because they got hooks they got songwriting it's the dude's just angry it's great i've i've one of my favorite bands they ever. are um described as being uh grindcore so i'm wondering if the kind of quote-unquote grind they're playing because you're talking about hooks automatically the band that comes to mind when I think about grindcore and catchy hooks is um, Nazem. Come 
Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know what this band sounds like, but when I think of like catchy grindcore, I think of Nazem. Yeah. Like, I think, it, especially that Helvet LP, like those songs are so yeah. fucking catchy. Like, yeah. it's like, how, how are you doing this? Like, I mean, I know how they're doing it, but um, how was this not a thing prior? I mean, I hate people telling me what to do. Yeah. You know, there's great. this EP, Fifth Rations, was on Southern Lord. Oh yeah, filth rations. I have that shirt. I wore that shirt for a persistent aggressor show. I think. Oh, uh, I wouldn't have yeah. remembered. Yeah, I'm a big dummy. What no, you're know? good. You're good. <laughs> but, yeah, no, Nazem and uh, definitely Repulsion. Uh, oh uh, yeah, Repulsion. I mean that, that that record that record like people call it a grind record and and I hear it, but you know what, man? There's so much crust punk in that fucking album. Yeah. That band. That band is. I don't talk about them enough, but honestly, Repulsion might be a top 20 band for me. Like they're that, like that album is that good. I have this EP that they did in the early nineties called, um, Oh shit. It's, um, ah, fuck. It's got a song called Helga lost her head on. I'd have to go look at it. I haven't listened to it in Mm -hmm. a while, but yeah, Repulsion is fucking awesome. Like, I never got to see them. I wish I had the opportunity to. Um, yeah. Because they're just so sick. And just like everything about them is just um, like they're just they're crusty. They they sound punk in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that's the best. That's the best kind of grind. That's the best kind of punk, you know, is, mm-hmm. or not the best kind of punk. Like the grind, it still sounds punky or at least like, you know, um has that strong discharge um thing going that db for it. Yeah. yeah uh excruciation is the name of the ep oh okay i haven't um, listened to it yeah it's 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 pretty good the songs are okay they're not as memorable as like you know black breath or um radiation sickness you know or festering boils but it's pretty fucking <laughs>
Well, it's just I what blew my mind about that one because I always listened to Horrified, which I think was ninety one, mm-hmm. and I never knew that it's basically the exact same recording as the Slaughter of the Innocent uh, demo, which I think was eighty six. Yeah, they're they're a really early band. Like that's and, crazy. And I don't know if you know this, but it, most metalheads know this. Repulsion was almost. I don't know if Chuck went to Michigan or if they went yeah. to Florida, but they were part. They were part of death. They're part of strong part of death's history. Yeah, genocide. And, was yeah, the band. and um, you know they're closely related to the guys in Carcass. Like the guys in Carcass either helped distribute their demo or record or something like that. Like they, they, they have their fingers in a lot of, you know, pies, you know, um, I mean, Scott Carlson, a bass player was in cathedral for a long time. Mm-hmm. So, yep. which is pretty cool. You know, um, I follow him on Instagram and he talks about like giallo and horror movies and, and, and like, uh, exploitation cinema stuff sometimes. And I think it's pretty cool. Cause he, he, he turned me on to a movie not specifically me. He wasn't talking to me, but I saw him talk about what we call Devil's Express. And I found it on Tubi. And it's seriously one of the best movies I've seen in the past 10 years. It's really? so, I gotta look that up. It's fucking terrible in a way that is almost unbelievable. Like you can tell that these producers said, okay, it's 1975. How can we make fucking money? I know. We'll mix a kung fu kung fu black exploitation flick with z grade horror and it's fucking insane to take a ride on the devil's express what happens when two thousand years of evil strike a city see warhawk tanzania match blows with the devil and those the devil has possessed some deformed monster Take a ride on the Devil's Express. It may be your last stop. Rated R. I can't believe my eyes looking at this. Oh my god! Are you looking at it now? Yeah, yeah. Look at it. Uh, it's also known it. as gang war because they used to they would do things where they would play a movie uh, in a certain market for a number of months. Right? They'd pull mm-hmm. from the theaters, then they'd re-release it under a different name. So the movie is also known as gang war. And if you notice, the lead actor, his name is Warhawk Tanzania. What? Legit, yeah. legit his first name, Warhawk Tanzania. And it, no it's, way. it's so bad, but it's it's the it's entertaining as fuck. And sometimes, like, I don't believe in that thing where a movie is so bad it's good. A movie's either good or it's good, or it's bad, you know? And when I say it's bad, I mean like by every metric that you objectively look at good cinema you know it's bad but the main question is is it entertaining do you want to watch it again yes then it's good Mm. so devil's express is a great film you know just like convoy is a great film just like um i don't know fucking maniac is a good film you know i mean they're not you know it's just uh you know like bad movie a bad movie fucking you know forrest gump that's a fucking terrible film that's terrible you know i mean there's no question about the fact that that movie's bad but devil's express is fucking amazing and i thank scott carlson for that so 
Yeah, I think that you could, much like anything, it's like the director can be a complete idiot and fail at his initial point and still make something that people love, like stumble into success. Like um, I have that, uh, uh, the book from the one actor who played in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, Tommy Wiseau that. or Wizzo or however you pronounce yeah. his name. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's, um, they made the um, Jonah Hill, I think made that movie of that book. But uh, just talking about that, where it's like, this dude didn't intend to make something really entertaining. Like he no. wanted to make something totally different. And that either goes, you know, the route of like, oh, this more movie's super boring and you missed your point. Or sometimes you miss your point and it's great, you know? Yeah. It's totally uh, up to the nebulous how you digest it, whether, you know, it's uh, like you're saying, whether you enjoy it or you don't. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, or like, you know, for, for years, a lot of people would look at, you know, um, you know, quote unquote, cinephiles would look at, say, like the Roger Corbin pictures as being terrible filmmaking. Though those movies, almost all of them are fucking great. You know, I mean, they took they took what few resources they had and they made well-made entertaining films. I mean, look at how many filmmakers that are highly regarded that came out of those productions that made movies with Roger Corbin early on. So there's something to that, you know, um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I text John about that drummer from trap them. He said, yeah, he's a total ripper. <laughs> yeah, John, gave- John would know he's a fucking John's a beast. That's he's funny. A beast Cause I, drummer. I gave him my CD copy of trap them. So that's okay. funny that you texted him. Yeah. Cause I, I told well, him he's, he's a drummer. I look to as far as like, you know, um, someone who really can talk to you about technique and, and things that a lot of other drummers who, although in some ways are just as good as John are, they, they don't look at it from the same way. Like if I, if I talk to Ian Cummins from actual form, Ian, as far as like drumming goes, a completely different style than John, but I think he's just as good as John. He just plays way differently. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? but you can't talk to Ian about drumming the same way you can with John, you know, cause it's just, it's not how he thinks about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, funny anecdote talking about drummers real quick. And I don't want to make this too much about myself. So I apologize. Uh, I feel like I'm hijacking things too much, but at oh, yeah. that show um, that we just played the reunion show, I was laughing. Cause I said to our drummer, Sean, I said, you know, you really, are economical with your with your movement and he goes you, you never knew that i'm like no because the kit you had in the past he had larger two larger rack toms you know and a big floor tom he had he had a much larger kit that he would play on and when i would see his hands it looked like he was swinging with his whole arm you know but i didn't take into take into consideration i was only seeing his hands every once in a while you know Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I'm watching him on that smaller kit that, you know, Josh, um, uh, Josh loaned us. I'm watching his hand movements. And I'm like, he plays like John Vinson, like real economical hand movements and just mm. very tight within, you know, not just timing wise, but he keeps it, he keeps it tight. He sits upright, very straight, and it's all hands, 
And I never knew that about him after, you know, and I played with that guy for fucking seven years and I've known him for longer than that. I've never noticed that about his playing until last, last month. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry. That was just something that just came to mind. We're talking about drummers, but uh, no, that's a huge thing. Cause like uh, there's videos of the, um, the cannibal corpse drummer, Pat mm-hmm. and uh, videos from him back in the day where he's real slouched. Mm-hmm. And you could definitely tell something changed. He went to some drum teacher teacher and it was just like, hey, you need to straighten out because you're gonna destroy your back like uh like Pete Sandoval and you know, so many other drummers just from years of like kind of leaning into it. Yeah. And um, yeah, there's there's a I'm there's a drum YouTube channel called the dude's name's like um Marthen. Something he's from, um, uh, I think the Czech Republic, but he runs the uh, drum academy, uh, f- and he interviews like a lot of like, yeah, crazy European metal dudes, so like black metal drummers and you know, like death metal. And it's that more than Jovanovic, Jovanovic, yeah, I could not pronounce that, yeah, Jovanovic, probably that's probably I'm bad with words, pronounced correctly. Uh, yeah, but um, yeah, his, he did. He shaved him. Uh, he, he does in this picture. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, he. I've learned a ton of stuff about proper technique, like something you wouldn't think about, like seat height, where you're like, yeah. that doesn't matter, and it's like, oh, totally does. And uh, yeah, you see it with a lot of drummers, uh, where you could tell some of them are more schooled, and you know, you could see a lot of yeah, like you're saying. Uh, ec- economy of motion and you know using all that stuff but then there's other drummers who it's just like you tell they have never taken a lesson but they just rip you know they know how they're feel stillman is. yeah <laughs> oh yeah he'll tell you he'll he's tell a, you he's an art he's an arm swinger he really fucking you know comes from left field with some of those those hits it's pretty mm-hmm. uh pretty pretty entertaining yeah, he told me he used to puke after almost every show when he played at uh, Harriet the Spy. Yeah. I've I've heard that. I, I don't th- I, I think maybe I've even seen it once or twice, but I I've heard that. I didn't know it was like a regular thing. Oh. And I've seen it because we we played with them a lot, you know, back way back then. But um you, you talk about seat height. That's something that I read Dave Lombardo say. He said that he was struggling with his double kick as time went on in Slayer. And, um, ah, oh, fuck. Play, who's the other drummer? Played in Dark Angel. Played in Testament. Gene Hoagland. Yeah, Gene Hoagland told him, you got to fix your drum seat. And told him, you know, he Gene Hoagland had to like, you know, school him on a couple technique things to get him back into fighting shape, you know? Isn't that crazy? Former roadie, former drum tech shit Some- tells you how it is. Sometimes those are the guys that are the best musicians, you know, they're just not in a band at the time. That's really, you know, fucking doing anything, you know, it just works out though. Or or they're just there helping out their buddies. You know, maybe Mm -hmm. they are in a band that's really good, you know? Yeah. Um, If I was going to take drum advice from anybody in the entire world, I would definitely take drum advice from Gene Hoakland. That dude's, I mean, insane. I would count, I would, you know, I would count um, Dave Lombardo in that, uh, category as well because if you think about the kind of stuff he's been playing since slayer like 
the different kinds of music. He he's really good at a lot of different stuff, and and Gene Hoagland is as well. But I can't say that about a lot of metal drummers. They're probably not good at certain things that Dave Lombardo can just do. You know, he's mm-hmm. one of those guys who can kind of play whatever you put in front of him. You know, yeah. So, yes. How good is the how good is the drummer in Bloodthirsty Butchers? Oh, oh we're skipping There's, one. Well, well, no, no, no. We don't. We're not going in, in any particular order. I just like the idea of Bloodthirsty Butchers after a band called Trap Them. We'll get around to hard sounds. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> um, so uh, this is a whole drum thirsty or Bloodthirsty Butchers. Their drummer. That was just a weak segue. Good. You don't really have to. I mean, it's not a. But if if he is good, by all means. Yeah, he is. He's very good. And they put out a record called uh, Youth and it's their Japanese bands. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very famous, like indie band in Japan that nobody in the US has ever heard of. Mm -hmm. They did like one split. Uh, The dude from Swami from uh, uh, Hot Snakes and uh, Drive Like Jehu, you know, he his label, I think, did a split with them sometime in the 2000s but they just never hit here but um yeah that the drumming on youth like the sound of it is my favorite drum sound ever you, you it's like you're in the room oh wow but like super in like a super comfortable like the cymbals aren't too sharp you hear you know like the tone of the snare really well it's just I have no idea, and I'll probably never know how they recorded it because any details in Japanese <laughs> written on some blog somewhere, I can't read that. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's uh, they're basically they're um, kind of like I've, I've heard the name, but I don't know anything about them beyond I didn't even know they're uh, Japanese either. I just yeah. I'm like, oh, that's Bloodthirsty Butchers. That's kind of a cool name, you know. Yeah. Also, another another uh, uh, horror movie. I think from the seven, no early eighties, probably. Well, it's funny. I'm looking at the song list of this particular record, Birdie, and it seems to be like these song titles sort of reference things, or I feel like they're referencing things. Like clearly, there's one Jack Nicholson, right? <laughs>
but there's one on here called rap music for rap people. That was a famous hardcore punk compilation, you know, from the eighties. Mm-hmm. They have a song called sun, you know, the which amp. Might, yeah. Referencing the bass amp birdie was a film. Um, I don't know what discord man, but it, it's spelled like, I, I don't know. It's just, it's weird. Like, I feel like they're referencing things that interest me and make me want to listen to this record now, you know, yeah. to see what, where they're coming from with this. Well, and this is the famous curse of getting into Japanese music where people <laughs> will tell you, oh, this dude's lyrics are incredible. Like this dude is like, you know, the Neil Young of the Japanese, like indie scene, like he's, his lyrics are amazing and it's like i cannot muster up like any any like motivation to learn and like translate this stuff so i'm just like i'm just gonna take your word for it uh-huh. and whenever i do listen to japanese music i'm normally listening for the lyrics just kind of how they're enunciating everything and kind of like more just folk it's more like scat singing basically Mm-hmm. And uh, I really like his uh, his style. They definitely are more of like a Sonic Youth kind of thing to compare uh, so, them to something. Okay, yeah. I was going to ask what, what their sound was like. And um, that's interesting. Like a lot of the Japanese music I, I've been familiar with has almost exclusively been hardcore. In fact, um, yeah. yeah, it has been exclusively hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> Bands like I mean, Bastard and Deathside, particularly Bastard, Wind of Pain is a a favorite of mine but um oh and boris i mean yeah there's metal bands too boris that pink album's pretty pretty good i really like that one a lot but uh mm-hmm. i i you know i've never heard uh heard bloodthirsty butchers before, but i've heard the name so they've they were around for a while they actually came out of the punk scene the hardcore okay. scene so like their first record i think came out in like 86 or something oh. and it yeah it was a lot more same with Boris. They kind of both came out of like this heavy music scene, uh, the punk scene, and then they progressively got softer and yeah, definitely more of like a, in an indie direction. But um, I normally hate indie music or not hate it, but it's just a real drag sometimes, man. Like listen to it. It's like, oh man, yeah. pick up the pace or like make your, you know, like when you're playing a fuzzed out guitar, you should be really getting into it. You know, I feel like the, they get real lazy with it and they just expect like, oh, it's loud. So this is going to change the, you know, the movement. And it's like, no, they missed the mark. But well, yeah, I mean, the, the soft, loud thing really. I think the people heard the Pixies one time and decided that they could utilize that to their advantage, regardless of genre. And the fact is, there aren't too many bands that can do that. The Pixies mm-hmm. being one of them. Yeah, their first record came out in 88. It was Bloodthirsty Butcher's first cassette tape, and then a year later, Bloodthirsty Butcher's second cassette tape. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. That checks <laughs> out. Great. Checks out. That's great. Yeah. Oh. Um, well, they have a lot of records, too. Yeah. A lot of weird ones. The point with the record Birdie was they're one of my favorite, like, this is like top 10 guitar players. Okay. Um, uh, what? Her name's Hisako Tabuchi, and she played in a band. She has her own band, Toddle, which is really good. Uh, She played, got famous in a band called Number Girl, who like basically started the Japanese 
like rock scene in the 2000s. Like, because okay. it was kind of in a weird place, you know, you had a, a lot of uh, J-pop that was like getting really successful. You had uh, bands like Boredoms, like mm-hmm. really kind of bizarre yeah. uh, bands. But um, Number Girl basically was like, it's really selling it, saying it, they were like the Nirvana. But like, it was that thing where op- as after they had a real short duration from like, I think late nineties to like early, early two thousands, they put out like four records or something. And with, after they broke up, all of these other rock bands started like, um, uh, uh, Asian Kung Fu generation and like, um, there's like a couple other that people probably know from like anime openings, you know, like young people like me could listen to those bands. Mm-hmm. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, like they got their fix from Number Girls. So the guitar player for that band joined Bloodthirsty Butchers. So it was like, and I believe they were, she was married to the lead singer. And um, that was exactly what that band needed because after those records they put out with her are just awesome. I, you know, I like some of the older records, some of them are weird, but, um, Every record, she has the Midas touch, in my opinion. She makes everything better. Okay, so how hard does uh, Heart Sounds Rock in relation to, say, Number Girl? So I have a story I tell to everybody who's willing to listen. Yeah, where That's what I'm here for. Go. So cut to me, high school, death metal kid. There's a melodic death metal band from California called Light This City. And they have a front woman. And it's like, oh, there's a cute girl singing at this melodic death metal band. <laughs> Super into it. And they were really good. And they broke up when I was in high school. I'm like, oh, bummer. I remember they left like a MySpace like message or whatever where they're like, Ben, the drummer, and Laura, the singer, are starting a new band called Heart Sounds. Mm-hmm. Here's a link to their first song or whatever. And I was like, oh, Heart Sounds, Carcass, obviously. Like, yeah. it's going to be heartworky. Like, that's th- totally a, a play on that, right? No. You listen to it, and it is literally 90s skate punk all over, but in oh, like wow. a cool melodics way. Um, it yeah, it has definitely the technical guitar of like propaganda or strung out, but yeah, just melodic and singing. And I was like, I don't want this. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> but I, it just got stuck in my head. And I was like, th- through and through a death metal kid at that point. And, you know, like listening to Dying Fetus and shit all the time. And I just keep going back and listening to this one song, the uh, slave to a heart that strays. And I was like, I like this. I don't know like what it is, but like this gets me. I like the guitars. Drums are fast. And sure as it is the first CD I ever bought. And I picked it up. Love every song on it. Uh, It's the records about the, drummer his dad passed away at cancer mm-hmm. literally right around the same time as i lost an uncle and it just everything hit and basically that record opened up the floodgates 
for me to get into punk rock again. It's oh, something cool. I wrote off for years. Yeah. So that incidentally, a death metal band breaking up and starting a punk rock band is what got me back into punk rock. I'm going to have to check oh. it. The moment you said skate punk, skate rock, I'm like, okay, that sounds, I, in my head, I had, you know, based on their name and the album, I'm like, this is emo, right? And I mean, I don't mean emo in a uh, Rites of Spring sort of way. I mean, emo mm-hmm. in a very, you know, 
derisive sort of mm-hmm, way, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, the way you described it, it sounds like something I should definitely check out. I mean, and I looked up um like this city and I don't know anything about them, but I was looking at the artwork for the one record, the hero cycle. That artwork mm-hmm. is dope. That's really yeah. cool artwork. As That's a record, record, I always liked. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if the record's good, but I know that artwork is um mm-hmm. totally something, you know, that would have fit with persistent aggressor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <artwork>. absolutely. <laughs> no, it uh yeah, it the music is yeah, pretty pretty similar to kind of your uh, your arch enemy kind of, you know, high pitched screams. Yeah. With I mean, she also got low too, but yeah. uh just that melodic kind of like uh um not you know too dissonant. They don't get too much into the gore guts territory or anything, but uh good blast beats and oh, cool. yeah, so that's yeah, that's a good record. Um so I've you know that one's worth checking out too. They did not tour Heart Sounds played cleveland once and i missed it (laughs) but uh uh, they never really toured you know as far as a record if there was any record that would have gotten me back into punk at that time definitely that was a a good pick versus you know uh like you know not the shit on like thursday or something but like no you can't it's fine (laughs) i mean i don't have it i i don't i don't think i if i've listened to them i've never been aware of it so i don't you know, <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know anything about them, but if you want to shit on them, please do. <laughs> yeah. I just, you know, there's a whole thing with pop punk, you know, rounding it back to the first, that metal core conversation from earlier, where it's like dudes hated their girlfriends in the nineties and two thousands. And it was, they just well, wrote so many songs. It's, it's one thing to write a heartbreak song or even have an angry song towards somebody you're in a relationship with, but it seems like a lot of those people, were like that was all they had in their bag <laughs> and it did not age you know like that whole warp tour generation you know the later kind of duration of it it's oh man it did not age well no no not at all but uh speaking of aging um yeah there's uh, this is it that's a non sequitur that's not really going to lead to anything um i just want <laughs> I wanted to say thanks for coming on and doing this with me though. Um, I think it's funny because I've had John on and now you, now if I can get Dave and Josh to do an episode then I will have done everybody in persistent aggressor, you know? Oh um, yeah. I, I need, I need to make that happen. But, uh, well, Hey man, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot. I had a really good time doing this one. I'll probably have to have you on again for something else. Uh, sometimes I have people come back and we do other stuff um you know sometimes we talk about movies and it sounds like that might be something uh after we just talked briefly that might be something you might be up for but um this is cool yeah man hell yeah i'm down i'm down for for whatever you know always love chatting with you you know we we got the good the good hot take in on metallica I'm, I don't know if it's I'm a hot take. It. Like I said, it's it, it's a my it, it we're in a minority amongst our friend group, but it might not be a hot take worldwide. I don't know. That's that's guitar. Uh, I don't know. I feel like every guitar nerd immediately shut off the podcast after we started talking about it. They might have shut off the podcast and went out
All right, that's it. That's all I got for you. I want to thank Mikey for hanging out. Uh, this one went a little bit longer than normal because uh, we're having a good time, you know, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll get to do this again soon. Um, check out Nervous Future if you can. And uh, you know what, man? Um, if you haven't, check out Persistent Aggressor. You'll see our uh, info in the show notes. It's a pretty good record, um, if I do say so myself. I'm going to try not to break my arm patting myself on the back too hard there. <laughs> If you want to communicate with me on social media, you can do so on Instagram at uh, bleachmouth underscore postscript, Facebook at bleachmouth postscript, and the email is bleachmouthps at gmail.com. I don't fuck with Twitter. You won't catch it on Spotify, but you can listen to all the past episodes. Bleachmouth.mkultrazine.com or on Apple Podcasts, and I think it's on some other uh, podcast apps as well. Have more episodes coming up for you. Uh, a couple fun ones, and uh, I don't know, man, just uh, if you want to chit-chat, just reach out, and, uh, you know, I'm pretty receptive to it. If not, that's cool, too. Uh, listen, rate, review, subscribe, share, because in the podcast world, apparently that's all that matters. But <laughs> I'll see you guys soon. <laughs>